If you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, we'll pick up the first five verses today. And, and I, I love what John is saying here because there's a, there's a place in almost every believer's life where we kind of look at obedience like it's some kind of obligation that's negative. It's like to listen to the voice of the Lord and to hear the voice of the Lord and to read his word somehow is burdensome to us. And John presents in these first five verses this liberating joy in obedience to the things of God. There's joy in obedience to the things of the Lord. And if you haven't experienced that, I want to encourage you to open up the eyes of your understanding and open your ears to hear the word of the Lord. There is joy in obedience to the word of the Lord, to the commands of the Lord, to the voice of the Lord, to the work of the Holy Spirit. There is joy in the Christian life. Would you pray with me? And we'll pick up these first five verses here in the fifth chapter of 1 John. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for your commandments. Lord, I thank you for your work of your word in my life. Lord, where you have corrected me and molded me and shaped me, that you continue to do that in us as your church. And we pray, God, that your commands would never be burdensome to us. Lord, that we wouldn't look at being obedient to you as something that's painful and arduous, but rather a blessing of the highest order. And so, God, we give you this time, and we pray now that your word would speak to us clearly. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, 1 John chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him, who, who he begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. And so it begins with, if you're a child of God, it's a plain statement. If you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are a child of God. So it's very clear who John writes to by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, if you're a believer, is another way to paraphrase this first verse. If you believe in Jesus Christ and that he was born of God. And by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments. You know, sometimes people take the love of God and they put it in one category and the commandments of God and put it in another. They take the word of God and isolate it as if it is a book of suggestions. God's word has been authored for our correction, our instruction in righteousness to actually do something in our lives and that is not a burden to us. It is always for our best. It is for blessing in our life. And, and so John now says, for this is the love of God, verse 3, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Notice it doesn't say they're not hard. They're not difficult. They might take a little bit of fortune and effort some, some concise motivation on your part. It doesn't say that they're going to be easy. It says that they won't be an unbearable crushing weight upon you. 
They won't be something that weights you down to where you'll feel worse after you keep the commandments of the Lord, but rather you will be better for keeping the commandments. The word of the Lord is not a burden to us. It's not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen? Plain teaching of Romans chapter 10. Our faith grows when we hear the word of the Lord and do it. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, the Christian life, for many people, and I can even remember back when I was a young Christian, almost thinking that becoming a Christian was going to be the biggest bummer that would ever happen in my life. Because I was going to have to quit doing this and quit doing that and stop doing this and stop doing that and quit going there and quit going here. It was like this long list of things that God was just going to yank out of my life. There's some truth to that thinking. The problem is the result was wrong. Because if God takes something out of your life because his word speaks to you that it needs to go, it's for your good. It's not because those sinful activities are the things that God wants to change are good for you. They're bad for you. And if he tells you you shouldn't do them, it's because he loves us. Amen? You see, we look sometimes at the commands of the Lord as if they are a burden. But if I'm going to walk in his will, if I'm going to walk in the word, if I'm going to walk in his ways, then those things are going to produce joy in my life. They're not going to be a burden to me. Oh, they may be difficult because our flesh is still strong. Amen? You still think things you shouldn't think. You still are prone to do things you shouldn't do. And so there will be a battle. There will be a fight. But it's not a fight for victory. It's a fight from victory. The battle's been won. Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross. So you're fighting from the place of victory. I meet so many Christians that struggle with obedience and because they struggle with obedience to the word of the Lord, that disobedience produces exactly what it should, misery. It it creates a space in your life where the Holy Spirit's going, look, if you want to keep feeling this way, then keep doing the thing you're doing. Keep walking in disobedience and you're going to have shame. You're going to have pain. You're going to experience a lack of blessing from God because God doesn't bless our sin, amen? And people sometimes will say, well, you know, God always blesses these people, but he doesn't bless me. And then you go through the circumstances and situations in their life. They have not set themselves up to be blessed. They've set themselves up to be chastised. And they wonder why the chastisement comes. Because God loves us. And so he doesn't leave us that way. We have to follow orders, family. 
And sometimes those orders are difficult to follow. One of my favorite magazines, I got this month's issue of National Geographic History. There's a story in there on D-Day. And for those of you that are prone to enjoy such things, let me share with you a little bit of a, a story here that I think will help illustrate this very point. Dwight David Eisenhower, the supreme, supreme commander of the Allied Expeditionary Forces that were going to land at Normandy, authored a letter that was to be handed out to all 175,000 Americans that landed on the beaches of Normandy. And that letter in it says, we will accept nothing but complete victory. Was it going to be hard? Yes. On Omaha Beach in the first hour and 40 minutes, we lost 3,000 men. It would take them more than three weeks to push more than a mile from that beachhead. Ultimately, there would be tens of thousands of lives lost. The order was difficult, but that order was the beginning of the end of the Third Reich. Because from there, they would push through the Atlantic Wall. From there, Patton's tanks would eventually breach through the hedgerow defenses that the Nazis had set up. They would finally get to the Siegfried Line, and within less than a year, World War II was over because a whole bunch of men followed orders. If you want the war over in your life, you have to follow orders because those orders are orders for your victory. Amen? Amen? And oddly enough, everything in creation actually follows God's laws and God's commands except mankind. You know, you don't find animals running around fighting against their nature. They just go with the flow. But because we have a free will, we have choice, we can choose to go against God's commands. And we often do. And so Paul gives us some secrets here in this passage uh, of how to have joy in this obedience. And I want you to begin, if you would, to look at the word of the Lord, rather like obedience or, or simply obeying things, but why don't you use the word, use the word of the Lord and see if it doesn't work. Use the commands of God and see if they're not true. You see, a scientist uses what he knows about the laws of physics to his advantage or the laws of chemistry. All of the sciences work on truth, amen? Can I tell you there's spiritual truth? And you will always be at your best when you're going with the truth, not against the truth. What's the secret? We have to recognize that this is a family matter. What happens, if it's not at work in your home, I can tell you it's not going to be at work in your workplace. If joyful obedience in your life isn't working between you and your spouse, then chances are it will never go anyplace else, including your own children. It starts at home. You, you cannot be partially obedient to the commands of the Lord. One of the reasons that the world does not want to listen to a word the church says is because we are inconsistent with our application of the truth of God's word. 
what happens is we say something is true, but we live as if it is not. It has to be consistent. It starts at home, and it works its way out through every part of our lives. You you can't just read your Bible as simply a textbook. It's not a textbook. The Bible is written to you by someone who loves you. He's not just informing you of the facts. He's telling you, look, if you want your, your absolute best existence while you're here on this planet, then let me give you some truths that you need to know, because I love you. And so God authors his word. And when you begin to experience that kind of love, you realize very quickly, God's right. He doesn't make mistakes. You know, in all of my time in ministry, I've never had a single person truthfully come back and tell me, well, I did what the Bible said and it was a mess. (laughs) Never. I've had people say it was hard, difficult, that they didn't quite get it the first time or the second time or the tenth time or the hundredth time. But I've never had somebody tell me, you know, loving my wife just didn't pay off for me. I tried dying to myself, but she hated it when I gave myself away to her for good. <laughs> I've, never had a, I've never had someone tell me that. God's word is true. It's man that has a problem with the truth. We need to walk in that truth. That obedience provides joy in our lives. But these things are spiritually discerned. In 1 Corinthians, if you were with us in that study, which you can get on the YouTube channel, by the way, just saying, and it's free. It says there in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 13 through 16, it says, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but by the Holy Spirit as he teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. But the natural man, by contrast, doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself rightly is judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? This incredible picture. Look, God doesn't need our help figuring out the universe. Amen? He actually does already know everything. So if he's written something to us and given it to us, we who are his kids, which is the basis of this passage ought to be listening to the creator of the universe. Amen? It's for our best. God knows what he's talking about. And the truth of the matter is, if that is the case, and you read God's word as a love letter to you, and not just some arduous book of commands, then you start to look at it like, Lord, if you want to change something in my life, please do it. I'm giving you full permission to bless me by changing what needs to be changed. You see the difference between those two mindsets? If you have the mindset, well, I can't believe you're going to take away my drugs. I'm so bummed I don't get to fornicate anymore. If your mindset is something's being stolen from you that's good, then you're going to suffer from your own mental anguish. But if you recognize it's a love letter and God's saying to you, look, I love you so much, if I tell you it shouldn't be in your life, it's because I love you. Then all of a sudden you're going, Lord, change me. Mold me. 
shape me, do whatever you want, God, I'm yours. And to that end, can you honestly say that you love God's word? Church, do you love God's word? Because you should love God's word. God's word is truth. And boy, do we need truth in our world today, amen? You have the bastion of truth in your laps right now. And I don't care whether it's on your phone or it's in pages. It's truth. It is every man that scripture says is a liar. God's word is truth. You're never going to wake up and go, man, the Lord deceived me. When you read the 119th Psalm, and I encourage you to do it, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. But it's completely about the word of God, and it uses the word, word. It also uses commandments and statutes and precepts and a lot of other things that just point you to the word. But there's only two verses in the whole chapter that don't mention the law of the Lord or the word of the Lord. The reason that the psalmist could exalt the word of the Lord is because he says, look how I love your law. How I rejoice in your law. How I delight in your law. How it is honey to the taste. In fact, he turns the law of the Lord into a song. Amen? Now, if it wasn't good and it wasn't loving, the psalmist could not do that. And I'll give you an example. Imagine trying to sing the IRS tax code. Oh, how I love taxes. You know, you, you know what are you going to do? You're not going to rejoice over the tax code. But you can rejoice over the truth of the Lord because it's written as a love song to us, his children. If you're, you're sitting there singing to your kids. You're putting them to sleep. And they may not even understand the words, but they know the person singing to them loves them. So whatever the words are, they must be words of love. That's how we need to see the word of God. And that will perfect that obedience in you. You'll start to look at it differently. You you will begin to sing the word of the Lord. But I can tell you what will ruin your song. Sin. When, When you willingly transgress what God has placed in his word, you will ruin the song of the Lord. You'll have a verse that doesn't fit. If any of you ever, if you're music people and you're in here, every once in a while someone will write a song, there'll be four verses and they're all good, but there's one real bummer in there. Amen? It's like, why did they write that? That's how sin is in the life of a believer. It's like your life is going along, the Lord has saved you by grace and through faith and things are good and you're praying and you're praising the Lord and then all of a sudden you dump a line of sin into the song of grace in your life and Before you know it, you're going, man, Lord, my song is wrecked. That's because sin separates you from the love of God. That's what happens. And so that one bad verse in the song of the Lord that's in your life through his word ruins the whole song for a while until you do what 1 John 1, 9 told us to do, which is to confess your sin because he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us. Amen? Amen. So he's saying, look, here's my song to you, Jeff. And it's a victory song, amen? It's not a defeat song. It's a victory song. Love that song, Hail Jesus, you're my king. 
He is our king. Have you ever thought about your life being a victory chant for Jesus? It's okay if you want to see what goes on when you follow the word of the Lord. Look at my life. It's awesome. The Lord redeemed. We were at the men's retreat yesterday. And we had a number of opportunities for people to share testimonies and stuff. And you're sitting there listening and go, only God can do that. Only God can bring people back from a life of drug addiction and violence, thievery, and, and do a work of restoration. And then take this, take this man, and I'll leave his name out because he didn't give me permission to use his name this morning. But take, take a man who's going nowhere really fast. Who's rejected education. Who, whose whole work life is selling drugs. Not only clean up his life, but put him into a school, give him a degree, and then give him a great paying job, and oh, by the way, he's getting married next month. Amen? That's the victory song. But that took obedience to the word of the Lord. You've got to flee these things. You have to reject this untruth in your life. It's not drudgery. It's not terrible. It's not something that's painful and arduous. It is a song of victory. We are overcomers. You see, because the world appeals to our old nature, amen? You're wandering around. Let's face it. When you go into a restaurant, nobody's going, can you give me the kale shake, please? You know, you're you're looking at it. I'm going like, give me the confession time. When I look at the thing, you know, they always have like three cuts of prime rib. I do math to figure out why I should get the big piece. It's like, well, I'm getting ripped off here if I don't buy the big one. Because I'm going to pay $21.95 for the little one. I'm going to pay $22.95 for the middle one. And it's only $24. It's twice as much. This is a great deal, Lord. And I look down and I go, maybe not such a great deal. You you see, the Lord instructs us in things of life and living so that we'll be blessed. He knows if I keep doing that, I can make that same excuse about those Costco cheese balls. And I'm just telling you, those things have crack in them. I got no idea what they put in those cheese balls, but that's not natural. You know, we, we, can, we can run through those things. They, they're attractive to our flesh. And so you look at it, it's like, well, you know, I mean, God's given us all things to enjoy richly. It doesn't mean you have to eat them all in one sitting, okay? Yes, God wants to bless us, but he's given us parameters whereby that blessing comes. And he said, Jeff, I, I want you to take care of your temple. That's where my Holy Spirit resides. I want you to watch what you eat because I want to use you while you're still alive. Your corpse is not really all that good to me, okay? There's simple things, but the Word of God says that. That's why we're not supposed to be gluttons. And boy, am I touching on one that everybody's going to hate me for. (laughs) I don't care. I'm old. But you, you know what I'm saying? You see, we skip over that one and go, oh man, you're a fornicator. 
He tells us to not be liars and not be idolaters too. Do we worship something other than Jesus? You see, those things are for our blessing. He knows us. And so he hymns us in a little bit in some areas where we might be tempted to go the wrong direction. It's true, he does that. But it's because he loves us. He loves you, he loves me. Our king's already won the battle. I can't even imagine, as many times as I've watched documentaries and read stories, especially of D-Day as I was sharing with you. Think for a moment that you know that the Nazi war machine has built the Atlantic Wall for the last five years. The entire coast of France, all the way up into Sweden, is fortified. You're sitting in ships offshore. A storm delays actually the launch of the D-Day invasion called Operation Overlord. And you're sitting in ships heaving up and down in the ocean waiting to be opened up on by fortified emplacements on the beach. You think somebody was a little scared? But meticulously thought out was that operation. Part of what happened was necessary so that the battle could be won. Jesus already landed on the beach himself. Amen? He already took the heavy fire. He already died in our place. The victory's been won. We just need to go take the ground. We need to go get what's ours, in other words. The word of God helps us do that. The word of God marches you forward in those those advancing columns with the king. He was buried, we were buried with him. He was risen, we are risen with him. He's alive, we're alive with him. He is truth, we are truth with him. You understand what I'm saying? We're on the winning team. The battle's been won. The question is, are you going to sing and march in victory or are you going to just kind of lollygag along and see if the enemy can pick you off? Because eventually, just like happened in D-Day, the only people that lost their lives were the ones that strayed away from the formations that had already been marched forward in victory because there were snipers everywhere. All the enemy can do is pick off stragglers. He, He can't win the war. Jesus already did. The battle's won. Be obedient to the battle plan. Say, yes, Lord. Because the final authority and all that stuff is King Jesus. Amen? When you think about what the Lord has done for us, when you put yourself in that place, because we are one body, many members, we all have different roles in this thing called life. Amen? Some prophets, some evangelists, some teachers, some Sunday school teachers, some ushers. Some will come and help us beautify the building. We're we're in this war together. Some in the mission field, some in children's ministry, some teaching the high school and the junior high, some in the front office, some in accounting. your, Your jobs, every single place that you are, the fragrance of Christ is supposed to be, according to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. So we're all in this together, but we have to submit to the authority of the allied commander of the forces, and that's King Jesus. 
You see, when Dwight D. Eisenhower wrote that letter, single page, there were 240,000 copies of it actually printed out. And no, he did not sign each one of them with a pen. But there were copies given to every single soldier that went into battle. You have a copy of the letter of victory. It's been given to you. You hold it right now. Do you have faith in the plan? Do you have faith in the plan? Because if you have faith in the plan, you are guaranteed a victory. As much as my analogy of D-Day fails in the light of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the applicational truth is there. Somebody could have come up with a different plan. And they could have said, well, we're going to go do our own thing. We don't want to land. We're going to go to Calais. You see, what the German army thought was going to happen, if you look at a map of the United Kingdom and France, the place, the shortest distance between Dover and the coast of France is at Calais. That was also a deep water port desperately needed for the landing of ships if you're going to bring, by the time the month is out, one million soldiers into the battlefield on the beaches of Normandy. You see, what you need is a port. You could have had another plan. You could have said, well, I'm just going to go to Calais. It's, you know, there's already a port there. Guess where the German army stationed almost all of their troops? At Calais. They were waiting because that was the shortest distance between the two places. Which is exactly why Dwight Dwight Eisenhower said, we're not going to land there, that's where they expect us. The enemy's got a bead on you. He's got plans for you. But if you stick with King Jesus, you're going to walk in victory. Amen? You you don't want to have friendship with the world. You don't. Because the world's going to try and destroy you. you. You don't want to be spotted by the world. You see, when you begin to fall away from the word of the Lord, these four things will happen to you, and they'll happen basically in this order. First, you start kind of hanging out and being friends with the world. And then all of a sudden, you actually get stained a little bit because you're in the world doing what the world does. And before you know it, you're going to start loving the world and you're going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then eventually you're going to be conformed to the world. You're going to look exactly like the world looks. The word of of God prevents that from happening in your life. That, That is the relational value of walking in the word. Because what happens is you know the difference between a real friend and a fake friend because the world is a fake friend. Amen? Doesn't love you, wants to kill you actually. Probably most of you have had friends in your life that you could do without, amen? The world is a friend you can do without, amen? You for sure don't want to be spotted by the world. You see, you could look at it this way, three S's for you. Friendship with the world, that's the seducing of the world. The world wants to seduce you to be on its side. It wants to say, hey, come join us. We're going to land at Calais. It's going to be awesome. There's a deep water port. You won't even have to get wet. 
And then the world will stain you. Oh, well, we kind of forgot to tell you about the fortifications of the Nazi army that were there, but, you know, it'll be okay. There's only going to be most of you die. You see, the enemy doesn't tell you that. Satan doesn't dial you up and go, hey, this is going to kill you. No, he says, it's going to be great. Man, man, when you wreck your marriage, it's going to be so awesome because you're actually going to be able to marry that person that you're really in love with. And then the forces of darkness open up on you and your life is destroyed. First you were seduced and then you were stained and then you're going to find your satisfaction in the world. The world's going to try and satisfy what only God can satisfy. And finally the world is going to make you into a sculpture. You're going to look just like the world. So here's your steps to joy. You have to cultivate a deep friendship with the Lord Jesus and his word. You've got to cultivate it. You've got to work at it. It's not going to happen naturally because your flesh is going to war against it. You have to actually cultivate it. You've got to work at it. One of the things that happened at D-Day is they built what were called mulberries. Mulberries were artificial harbors. There were two of them built. One of them survived the storm. And it was those artificial harbors that the Germans did not anticipate that actually allowed all of those men to reach the shores of Normandy. They were believing that the only way that the invasion forces could make it is if they took either Cherbourg in the, in the south of France or Calais in the north. We've got to be wise. We have to cultivate a friendship with the one who can win the war. And that's Jesus. You have to take that friendship and let it influence every area of your life. You can't hold back from the Lord. You've got to say, Lord, my whole life is yours. I'm not keeping anything. If you say it's got to go, get rid of it. You say it's got to come in, I'm letting it in. Uh, otherwise, you are ultimately going to be sculpted. Your friendship and becoming like him ultimately will lead you into a deeper relationship with him. You're going to want more of Jesus and less of this world. We're, we're dealing with a church. We have so many people that are sick and ill, and they're, they're near that time when, the, when the, there's a good possibility the Lord's going to take them home. The only hope we have is heaven, amen? This earth offers nothing for us. So don't treat the world like it's your God. Christ loves us. The Lord loves us. And finally, the more we know the Lord, the more we know the Lord, the more we begin to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, walk like Jesus. We are conformed exactly as Paul writes to the church at Rome there in Romans 8. We are conformed into the image of the King. landing on the beachheads of this world as a mighty invasion force for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? We then have the victory. It's secure. The battle's been won. 
and we simply get to march into the territory because it's already ours. You're a child of the king. Do you know that? And the king loves you. Do you know that? He wants you to walk in victory. Do you know that today? I pray you do. Because it's the truth of who you are in Christ. And so let's endeavor to walk in that truth. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, so many of us have, uh, we flip-flop, God. I believe there may be even some today that have never actually chosen the right side. And pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you convict of sin and of righteousness and the truth of your gospel message that you died for us on Calvary's cross so that we might have eternal life and the forgiveness of our sin. My God, we pray that you would help us to just walk in that victory, Lord. We so desperately want to experience your perfect love. And so give us joy in following orders, joy in obedience, listening to your voice and doing what you say. Lord, help us to have love for your commands, joy in following those commandments. Father, we thank you for taking us, Lord. We're a, we're a ragtag band of beat-up soldiers. But, Lord, the victory has been won, and we want to walk in that victory parade, Lord, that triumph of Christ. We want to be a fragrance in this world that smells of you, Jesus, points people to the cross. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for working with us, Lord, while we were yet sinners. Jesus, you died for us. Lord, thank you for the truth that we find in your word that says you, the infinite God, loves us, the finite people. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.